now, it's Gardening Talkback with gardening specialist, Scott Sharp. Welcome to Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. Scott Sharp is back with us once again. Great to see you back, Scott. Thank you. Good morning, good morning. Well, what have you got for us today? Then, well, Scott? I thought today I would talk about dollar spot in lawns. It's still wet out there, so it seems to be a problem that people are having. It's a fungal disease. We'll talk about that later on. Cucamelons, these really cute little watermelon things that taste like a gherkin. Gherkin got sold. Yep, so we'll talk about those as well, and Sockerman, they're out and about, so care for those. right And we've got Colin on the line, and he's got a question about the fruit fly traps. Good afternoon, Colin. How can we help you? Yeah, good afternoon, Scott. Um, basically made up the, the traps with the bottles and with the holes in it, and uh, when it comes time to mix the malathon and the Vegemite, yep. I just can't get it to mix. Oh, well, so what? it's getting too sloppy for you, or is it too thick? What, what's going on? Oh, well, it's just the Vegemite and the Malathon just won't go together. So oh. you end up with dollops of the... But I was just thinking while standing here waiting to get on, and uh, do you actually make up a mix of the Malathon? I'm using it straight. Yeah, okay. so it might be best just to add some water to that Malathon rather than using it straight. That's just going to be a little bit too uh, too potent, I think. Um, so, yeah, look, that, that, that'd be the way to go. Mix it up in, in some water and then put the Vegemite in with it and mix it through that way. So how long would that last then in the trap? Yeah, look, that, that's going to last about five to seven days for you in the trap. It's, right. You're still getting fruit fly at this time of year, are you? Yeah, well, there's a lot of the navels that, you know, mm. getting, getting their colour, they're getting lighter in colour, and uh, I think a couple of frosts and they'll be coming on. And I've got them at, a, like, an early navel and then a normal navel and a seedless navel, so you, you tend to get them for a, pick them for a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty much on top of the fruit fly. Um, I'm still picking vine ripe and tomatoes, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I haven't got any fruit fly or very few in them, but I'm just seeing the odd orange with the, the little mark, you know, where the fruit fly gets in. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, look, yeah, just just keep on trapping. Then I would mix it up, uh, you know, just mix up a, you know, a litre of it just to get yeah. some water in, in, into the mixture. Uh, I guess that's probably something I've never really said before. So, yeah, look, it's, yeah. thanks for the feedback about that. Uh, so, yeah, look, I'd just mix up a, a litre of it and then uh, mix the Vegemite back through or mix it into some Vegemite. Yeah, I'll give that a go. And um, I just, I bought another product that's pre... You know, it's basically tip straight into the trap. It's yes. wild may fruit fly attractant, but um, I'm not. I might have the odd fruit fly in the trap, but not much. But um, it actually says on the bottle in the smaller print that um, it attracts and kills the male Queensland fruit fly. Now I assume it's the female fruit fly that I want to kill. Yeah, well, that's that's, all, that's what I've always thought about uh, trying to, well, you know, get rid of the females first, uh, and by using that Vegemite mixture. Um, yeah, look, I guess having the, the, the trapping the males is going to stop the breeding cycle, slow down the breeding cycle uh, in your garden. But uh, yeah, I, I would think that uh, the the uh, the female is the, is the main one to catch, just to try and you know even break down that egg cycle further. Yeah, all right. Well, look, I appreciate your time as always. And the only complaint I have about your show is that it only goes for an hour. <laughs> I don't know if my brain would keep going for two hours. Once I wind it up, the spring's gone after about an hour, and that's it for me. All right, I appreciate that. All right, you have a good afternoon. Okay, you too, Colin. Thanks for the call. Bye. We've got Steve now from Barnsley, and he's got a question about baby's breath. Hi, Steve. How can we help you? G'day, Scott. Yes, mate. My daughter brought home some seeds for baby's breath, yes. which he likes. Okay. Apparently, 
I'm the gardener. <laughs> so you, you've got to sow the seeds and germinate them for her, do you? Yes. Yeah, okay. Very good, very good. So, um, in a pot? Yes. Not good potting mix? Yeah, look, I, I would use a seed-raising mix. They're only going to be a very, very tiny little seed. Uh, yes. For, so I would actually get a you know some sort of seed tray, uh, or you could even get the old jiffy pots as well. I always think they're a fantastic idea because with the jiffy pot, once it's germinated, you can just plonk it straight in the ground and the roots go out through uh, the pot and into the soil anyway. Yes. Uh, look, and the reason I say that is because you just don't want to be, you know, sort of willy-nilly spreading it through, you know, just through the soil in the garden because uh, with small seeds like that, ants can come in and take them away and, uh, you know, just even if we get a heavy amount of rain, they can wash away as well. So. Yes. I think germinating uh, small seeds like that uh, and, you know, in general, but baby's breath as well, uh, in a jiffy pot or in some sort of seed tray is the best way to go. And the reason I don't necessarily recommend a seed tray is because then you're sort of teasing it all apart and you might break any fine hair roots. So uh, oh, if you yeah. can do it in a, in a jiffy pot, uh, a really good uh, way to do it. You're not disturbing the roots. You just plonk the plant back into the ground with the jiffy pot intact and off they go. Uh, are they the ones like that? they will rot away. Yes, they will. Uh, yes. Now, it used to be that you could get them uh, where they were dehydrated, I guess, and you added water and they'd swell back up. I always just preferred the ones that were sort of preformed. Yes. Uh, you know, I tried to do the swell, you know, the swollen up ones a couple of times and just couldn't get any luck with it. So I, I think the preformed ones are the best way to go. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, straight into the ground. Uh, as the pot breaks down, it's also going to provide, uh, you know, some uh, nutrient into the soil around where the plant is. You can keep uh -huh. it in a nice, sunny, warm spot for that initial germination and uh, just move it to wherever you need to. Now, time of year, mate. Yeah, so baby's breath, uh, you should be able to germinate here in Newcastle all year round. Okay. Uh, but I, I would say best left uh, until, you know, start of August uh, and try yeah, and mate. get them Yeah. Yeah, yep. into those warmer months. But here in Newcastle, you should be able to get the germinate, get them to germinate all year round. You just have to, like I said, move them around into a nice warm spot. Uh, even yep. if you can put them on a windowsill so you get some reflected light and warmth in uh, onto the pot and into the plant, uh, you know, as it germinates to try and keep it going. Okay. okay. And, by the way, have you ever smelt baby's breath? Uh, from a baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've smelt the smelt the plant, but uh, ne never done that. Uh, Not the other end. I've done no. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks for the call, Steve. Thanks, Scott. Cheers, mate. Have a good afternoon. And where are we up to? We've got Roger, and he's got a question about chipachinos. It's going to be interesting, Roger. Tell us about the chipachino tree. Well, I believe you have to. Uh prune and I don't know when and how much because mine's only about a metre and a half high. The I've, I, now, Roger, I've never heard of the Chipachino tree. So you, can you describe it to us so we might be able to find out what, what it is? Oh, it's that beautiful uh, purple flower that comes out on the tree. Ah, a Chipachino. Ah, there we go. Because we're, I, 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 oh, I've never heard of this plant before. It's this Chipachino. So I just thought I might Google this and see what happened. And we came up with a restaurant in Pakistan. Uh, so that, that was a bit odd. But so we thought, oh, that's not the tree Rod's just talking about. So you're talking about a Tibachina tree. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes, okay. So there's a couple of varieties of Tibicina. There's uh, Jules, which is the small growing one. There's Alstonville, which is a lot taller. There's Kathleen, the one of the uh, whiter pink ones, and a couple of other taller growing varieties. So which one have you got, Roger, the, the small growing well, variety? Yes, it's only a metre and a half high. Yeah, so you've got Jules. So they are, they've been flowering and they should be getting ready to finish flowering soon. Uh, so, yeah, okay. So not not a bad time. You can give it a prune now. Wouldn't give it a really hard prune at the moment though, uh, because what will happen is you won't get very much growth as the the uh, nights start to cool off for us. So give it a, a just a little light tidy up if you want to. But then I'd save your main prune until uh, you know the first week of August. Thank you very much. That's all right. Uh, glad we we yeah we glad we've got to the bottom of that. Uh, sound like a nice restaurant in Pakistan, no? But uh, <laughs> your plan, <laughs> but we got there. Yeah, I'll really go in there for quick. <laughs> Bit far to go at the moment. Yeah. Good on you, Roger. You. Thank you. Thanks, Roger. We've got Julie now from Wombarill, and she's got wrinkly passion fruits. Oh dear, Julie, tell us about your wrinkly passion fruits. Well, they get to about the size of an egg. Yes. And they're all wrinkly. And and are you watering? Are they just in the ground as normal? Yeah. In a, yeah. And uh, well, we've had plenty of water and rain, so probably not an issue there. Now, Julie, have you cut them open and had a look inside them? Yeah, they're very pissy. Like the um, the piss off them is real thick. Right, okie-doke, okie-doke. Now, I, I thought it could have been that, uh, you know, you could have been getting some fruit fly sting in there uh, or even mite sting on the fruit, which will wrinkle it up. But if you're saying that it's uh, got a really thick rind, is that that's the way you'd be yeah. describing it? Yeah. Okay, so uh, with a, a thick rind uh, passion fruit, probably for this year you're not going to be able to do very much. Uh, but for next year, you want to start feeding uh, with some trace elements uh, in the soil uh, to uh, try and uh, you know stop that thick rind of the passion fruit. Is it an old plant as well? I didn't ask that. No. Okay, because the other thing that happens with passion fruit is as they get older as well, they do get a, a thicker rind. So I would start uh, using some trace elements uh, around the plant uh, and just generally watering that in probably about uh, you know once a month at the moment and hopefully when you get your new fruit next year that uh, you know they should have a much more normal rind about them so I can buy a powder and it says trace elements it certainly does right. uh, you, you can just get it as a, as a packet uh, you mix it up in the watering can and every month just give it a good soaking around the root ball of the plant and uh, hopefully next year that'll fix it up for you cross our legs and hope can't we well we certainly will <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot okay good on you Julie Bye. thank you bye bye it's Gardening Talk back on 2 and you are FM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Kim from Swansea. He's got a question about corn. Hello, mate. Hello, Kim. How can we help you, mate? Listen, um, I've got problems with me, um, me corn. They seem to grow beautiful, you know, like nice and green. And I wait until the, uh, the top sort of goes um, a browny colour. And what corn I do get on the cob is... It's ripe and it's beautiful. Yes. But I'd say I get one out of a dozen that's got the full lot of the corn on it, on the cob. And and the other ones, that you're just sort of getting a half cob or yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. It's in pieces, mate. Yeah, okay, okay. 
Um, look, it's probably getting a bit late for corn now anyway, so you're going to be talking about what you're going to do next year yes, uh, yes. here in Newcastle. It gets a bit cold to have that second crop here in Newcastle now. Uh, tell me about your soil. What are you feeding those plants with, mate? Oh, just um, a bit of dynamic lifter and a um, bit of worse pea. Yeah, okay. Look, that that's really good. What we're really trying to do is we want to make the, I guess, the the flower and the seed of the plant stronger because that's what the corn kernels are. They're the seed of the plant. Uh, so what I would be doing, I would be using some cow manure as well oh, next, yeah, next yeah. year. You might even start, uh, you know, start of August, start tilling some cow manure and building that up in the soil. Yeah, yeah, just like a... Um, uh, Worm pea too, like that, do it like that. Yeah, so you're just using it as almost a pre-fertiliser, I guess. Yep. The other thing I would be doing is getting some sulphate of potash. So that's going to make the fruiting and flowering of the plant a lot stronger. Oh, now, yeah. Uh, you can start building that up in August if you want to. You could probably start using it in the soil now, but it does wash through the soil. So it's, yeah. it's one of those things you have to keep on using. And... So as soon as you've, uh, I guess, sown your, your corn seeds, that's when you would start using the potash then and hopefully you'll also get, uh, you know, a much stronger plant uh, because you're using the cow manure, using your, your worm pea as well. Keep on using the dynamic lifter, mate. No worries about that. You know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. You know what? You don't give me worms. Sorry? You, what happened? You don't... What, you know what? You don't give me worms to eat. What, what's that? Yeah, you know how you feed your worms to yeah. get your worm pea? Yes. There's one thing you never give them. Yeah, what's that? Citrus? You don't, they don't like citrus, I know that. No, onion. Yes, onion as well. They, they don't like those stronger, they don't like citrus peel well, and onions, they, they just won't go near that. Well, Todd, it seems, it seems to me, mate, that gives them a bad breath. <laughs> it probably does. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate, for your information. Okay, good on you. Good luck with that next year, Kim. Thanks, mate. Thanks, bye-bye. Oscar from Arcadia Vale, and he's got a question about the passion fruits. Afternoon, Oscar. How can we help you? Hello, Oscar. How can we help you, mate? Yeah, good day, Matt. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, I've got a. Um, I actually have three passion fruit vines. Uh, the very first one's about maybe two and a half, three years old. Uh, the other two are only about a year and a half old. Yes. Uh, the very first one is about, say, 10 metres away from the other two. And this year I had tons and tons of flowers on it, and yet I hardly got any passion fruit out of it. I was lucky to get about two or three passion fruits out of it. The other vines didn't give me any flowers whatsoever, um, but I'm just wondering how come I got a lot of um, a lot of flowers but no passion fruit. Yeah, look. So now the passion fruit you've got there are they a grafted variety or an, an ungrafted variety? I wouldn't have a clue. No, man. I'm sorry. no, that that's all right. That's all right. So the grafted varieties. Uh, do grow better for you and you'll get more fruit and flowering off them. Uh, many bees in the area made for pollination? Well, I actually have some herb herb uh, stuff over there. I think it's uh, oregano or whatever it is. And there's uh, there's uh, plenty of bees around it. Um, but And you can see the bees on the flowers and everything. Okay. They just need to pollinate. Yeah, okay. And, and so would you say the flowers are just dropping off then? No, they do. Well, eventually they do, but yeah. most of them sort of flower and they open up and they look absolutely beautiful. They're nice and white and whatever it is. Um, it sort of looks really beautiful, uh, and there's quite a few of them. And but yeah, it just doesn't sort of turn into into passion fruits. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, are you fertilising them in any way? Uh, I am. Yes. Yeah. What with, mate? 
Um, I can't remember, but um, I did sort of look it up uh, on the internet. I can't remember the name of it, but I did sort of, uh, yeah. That's that's all right. So, look, uh, I would be using a general all-round uh, liquid fertiliser on passion fruits. They're very quick-growing. Right. So yeah. there's a whole lot of different liquid fertilisers out there. Uh, you know, right. Thri- Thrive used to be one that, you know, people would commonly use. It's still out there. You can still get yeah. it. So, yeah, feel free to use that. In addition to that, I would get some sulphate of potash. Uh, now, it's great for fruiting and flowering on plants, which is exactly what you want to do with your passion fruit. It also right. just generally makes the, the, the fruiting and flowering tissue much stronger and resilient. So it's going to, uh, you know, make those flowers sit, stay there and last for you. Yeah. When the flowers are on... I would also be making sure that the plant's being well watered because if the plant is stressed at that time, the first thing it's going to do is drop its... Uh, it's, it's going to drop its flowers uh, as a way of survival. Yeah. So as soon as you see flowers on there, make sure the plant's being well watered. Use that liquid fertiliser and get some sulphate of potash as well. And I think... Use it on both plants as well. Just don't, uh, you know, use it on one. And I think you'll have a much better crop next year. Okay, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. Now, I've got one more question for yeah. you because of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, got a, uh, I've also got a, a lemon tree, which, is, uh, which uh, for the last four or five years, um, it gives me some really prolific fruit. Uh, I get tons and tons of lemon out of it, which I'm happy about. Yes. Uh, however, the, the tree is sort of getting a little bit bigger and bushier. What's the best way to, um, uh, to trim it back? Yep, yep, prune it back. Uh, with the citrus tree, you can be you know, fairly hard on it. Uh, it, it doesn't need any, you know, particularly, you know, special care when you're doing it. Just get it right. back to a nice uh, shape, even shape that you need it to be. You know, you, you, hear, you hear stories, Oscar, during during drought times that, uh, you know, the farmers will go in and, and cut their their trees almost back down to the ground to try and preserve oh, wow. the, the rootstock of the tree. Yeah. And yeah. that structure in under the ground, and once the drought's over, the plant will come back. So, I mean, that that story I'm telling you, I guess, is just making you aware that you know they're, they're a very tough plant, and you can prune right. them back quite hard. I'm not saying cut it back down to the ground in your your case, but to get it back to a nice you know height where you can reach it, or you know just up on a ladder where you can reach the fruit, because the fruit's yeah, always yeah. going to be on the the new growth, and therefore it's always going to be towards the top of the tree. So. Uh, so should the stakes, uh, should I trim back any of the ones like in, in like close to the to the actual trunk or mostly around the outside? Oh, look, I would go back to the outside uh, right. and, and just bring it back down to a, a nice level. Now, the other issue with that is if you let your your tree, your citrus tree, getting you know get taller and taller, you can't reach the fruit. Eventually, no, it, right. it, it drops onto the ground. There's fruit fly. Uh, you know, it's sitting there rotting. Uh, everything just becomes, you know, you get into this perpetual motion machine where, uh, you know, you can't get rid of the pest and disease. So keeping your plant pruned down to a nice manageable shape and size yeah. is, is very important. Yeah. It also keeps the plant fresh and healthy as well. Yeah, it does. Well, I, I do make a lot of use uh, out of the lemon. I, uh, I've also got three olive trees. Yes. And I just, I just love eating green olives or even black olives. So I use, the, um, I use a lot of the, ol- the, uh, the lemon. Yes. The, the olives with. Uh, I thought you were going to tell, tell me you made limoncello, then I would have been your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could send you some. Th- some <laughs> <other> <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I can send you some of my beautiful uh, olives as well, if you like. Oh, very nice. Yes, yeah, we will never say no to a gift. <laughs> okay, no worries. I'll okay. drop some in. Okay, <laughs> appreciate it, Oscar. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'm See you okay. later. We've got Deb from Nelson Plains, and she's got a question about her camellias. Good afternoon, Deb. How can we help you? Oh, Scott, I've got some beautiful um, Japonica camellias. Yes. That are probably um, the main ones, which I've got about eight. They're probably 25, 30 years old, and I've maintained them in a topiary shape. And I probably do know, I know how to debud, and I love to debud, which almost just makes my heart break that I have to. But what's your recommendation? What would you leave? Because some of my, they've got five to six buds on each stem. So I have been going back to two. What would you do? I, I think that sounds absolutely fine. Five to six is starting to get a bit much. And in the end, you're just going to reduce, you know, the, the, they're going to drop off anyway. So you might as well do that for the plant and ensure that the flowers that are on there actually stay a little bit longer. Uh, because yeah. if, if the plant's trying to support, you know, the number you're describing that it's getting on there, those flowers are going to drop off very, very quickly. Uh, the plant just hasn't got the the capacity to uh, support it. I think it might be a very good year for Japonica camellias this year, though, because, you know, we've had an, a lot of rain and uh, hopefully yeah. they'll, they'll stay on the plant uh, for some time as well. Uh, the other thing is, uh, how are you going with the, uh, I guess, the, the spider mite that you get on Japonica camellias? You know, you get that sort of bronzy-looking discolorization to the leaves. You, yours are quite good? The majority of them. I just have one... Um and I don't spray, I don't use any pesticides yes. um, on any of those on my fruit trees. That's a different kettle of fish. <laughs> but um, the, with, one, with one of them, it's that beautiful double white camellia that looks like the Chanel. Um, that's the only one that gives me grief. And she has around the, actually around the flower, not the leaf, the flower goes brown around it. Yes, I, I think they seem to get something with the the white ones seem to be more susceptible to a, a bud rot, uh, you know, than yeah. anything. And and that, and I think the white plants are, are generally not as strong anyway. It's the old rule of thumb that uh, you know the darker the colour japonica yeah. camellia, the more sun it will tolerate. So uh, yeah. yeah, so the white ones do need to be in you know almost dappled light or just morning oh, sunlight. Gosh. Yeah. Well, these basically get probably 75% full sun all day and they are amazing. Yeah. But, um, so... Oh, I've forgotten what it was. No, oh, that, that's all right. Look, I, I knew I, I had a, a white camellia uh, and it was out in the full western sun. I don't think it got any shade whatsoever. Uh, we were up living on, on sort of a hill at the time, up on a ridge, and oh. the, the, the poor old plant, it survived and it never died and it would try and flower, but the flowers would sort of pop out. They'd be a bit, you know, dishevelled and brown and, you know, they'd drop off very quickly. So if you've got a white japonica camellia uh, or you're going to plant one, always best to try and get it out of that afternoon sun. Yeah, and now with regard to the potash, because that seems to be the flavour of the up on the gardens today, so I use the ash out of my combustion fire on my, all my fruit trees. It, would that be a... I mean, and my fruit at the moment are amazing. My oranges and lemons are just full on. So, And my limes, they're just pr producing so much fruit. So could I put potash 
on the camellias as well? Yes, ab- absolutely. Uh, you, can, you can certainly do that. Now, the only thing I just have to think about is the, the pH of that uh, yep. because uh, camellias like, uh, you know, a, a, an acidic soil, so a lower pH. So uh, I just have to turn my mind about uh, charcoal uh, as to, you know, the pH of that. So, look, yes, I, I would say use it, but uh, don't overuse it until I... No, I'll, uh, well, I won't. I'll just stick yep. to that, to the, the fruit trees. So... And one other question, I know I've got a um, pomegranate and I know it's losing its leaves and that's normal, mm-hmm. but what about an edible fig? Do they lose their leaves? Oh, yes, absolutely. They'll just go back to uh, do a bare stem as well at this time of year. Oh, yeah, I've got a little... Goodness. I've a little baby one at home that a friend gave me. I've got it in a pot on the front veranda and it's starting to lose its leaves now as well. All right, I went into panic mode there and I thought, nah, this will be all right. No, no, all, all's well with Thank that. You. Great, <laughs> thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for the call, Deb. Appreciate it. Elsa from Spears Points, and she's got rust on her hydrangeas. Good afternoon. How can we help you? Oh, hi, Scott. Look, um, I've heard a lot of talk this year about the um, rust on, um, what do you call them, frangipanis. And I've got a frangipani where I've got hydrangeas underneath it. Now, I've been diligently removing any leaves I can reach from the the frange. Mm -hmm. But... It would appear that it's it's all through my hydrangeas as well, and I'm wondering, should I actually... I know it's a bit early to um, prune it, but should I actually attack it now rather than to continually, you know, watch it slowly um, deteriorate with the rust? I, I, I'm thinking it's the rust. It looks just like the same as what it is on the French pennies, so, or am I wrong? Does it not catch the rust as well? No, no, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all that... Uh, the rust is actually filtered down onto the, the fr- onto the hydrangeas from the frangipani. panny. Uh, they're they're wind windborne spores, so yes, they are just going to settle down there when they blow around. Mm. Uh, look, I, I wouldn't, in a way, I wouldn't be too concerned because right. your hydrangeas, like your frangipani, they're going to lose their leaves fairly soon, mm-hmm. uh, and then you're not going to have the the issue to really deal with. I would, though, I would be spraying uh, with a fungicide like uh, copper oxychloride or Mancozeb Plus uh, mm-hmm. just to try and control it somewhat. Uh, so, yeah, definitely get around there and start to spray the hydrangeas. Spray the frangipani okay. as well if you've got any leaves left on there. Most of them should be off by now. Mm. Uh, you're doing, doing the right thing, though, making sure you're cleaning it up. The uh, other recommendation I make is to grab the watering can and some of that... Uh, fungicide that you're mixing up and actually drench the soil as well uh, right. try and kill the fungal spores there yeah because some of it's hard for me to get to so i have been trying to lift i didn't know what it was like in a, even a year ago i didn't realize that rust was even a thing and i started to look into it and then i started to hear about it on the radio on your show um so i have been sort of look, looking at it quite quite a bit but i and trying to pick it up but it's probably me doing that for you know, seasonally for a while, and I'll just think something's wrong with my gardening skills. But, um, yeah, okay, so I will do that. Thank you very much. That's right. Not not your gardening skills. I would say it was, oh, look, 12 years ago now that, you know, like a, a creeping sort of wave, the, the, the frangipani rust started to come down the coast, uh, you know, into the temperate regions, even a little bit further south. So it has become an increasing problem down here. That said, though, I guess the further south it gets, uh, uh, it it's less of a problem because the leaves are falling off earlier anyway so it, it mm. mitigates itself in a way the further it goes south uh, how long will it lay dormant? like i have been trying to lift them off the ground whenever i can reach them and get to them but if it's been there you know 
for the last couple of years and, and been seeping into the ground. Is that why you're saying try to drench the soil? Yes, to, that's correct. To kill yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why I'm yeah. saying do that. So that yep. if you know they are, if there are those spores in the soil, you know, even the rain, mm. you know, when it hits the ground, the spores can bounce up and go quite high and, and attach themselves to the plant again. So that's why I'm saying mm. just drench the soil in around we'll those do. plants and try and keep it under control. You're not going to eradicate it completely, but uh, you might be able to, you know, just somewhat lessen uh, the the impact of it next year. Yeah, <laughs> that's the idea because I don't know whether it's affected the flowering of the hydrangea, but this year I've got, you know, not very many flowers on it at all. So I don't know whether would have it been affected from the... Yeah, the rust, look, the I, I would say that no, the, the flowering wouldn't be affected. The, the rust doesn't rust. seem to uh, manifest itself until February here in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm. I, I would say that, uh, look, it's not actually affecting the, the flowering the of flowering. the plant, which they come along in, in November here in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Guarding talk back on two in your RFM. Scott Sharp, we're nearly out of time for another week. Oh, no, it, it just seems to go so quickly. It flew by. I really want to hear about that plant. Oh, the, the kooka melon. The kooka melon, yes. Yes, yes. Looks like a little baby watermelon, but tastes like a gherkin. And how does it called a kooka melon? Oh, because of the gherkin. Yes, because of the, well, the kooka, kooka. I don't know about that. I know the melon part of it does look like a very cute little watermelon. So, yeah, next week about that. Next week we'll yeah. have to fill us in on that. And we miss you other subjects as well. Thank okay. you. Next week. Your mouth will be watering until that time. Oh, I'll be celebrating. Just, yeah. I'll have to go get some gherkins just to make up for it. Scott Sharp, we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.